0: Hey guys, DJ, Uh, when I was working at Scratch, there was nothing more fun to work on than Adventures in Golf. Um, As you guys know, season two is rolling out now. Uh, This week's episode takes us to Bandon. Go check out uh, Eric and his crew running around there playing all four courses in one day. It's a ton of fun.
1: Go check it out. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!
0: Expect anything different. Ladies
2: and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. We're down here in Jupiter, Florida. We've got Tron, we got DJ here, and we're joined by the 2018 uh, United States Ryder Cup captain, Jim Furick. Jim, how are we doing?
1: Great, how are y'all?
2: Doing well. Is, have you ever done a podcast before?
1: I have. You have. I have yeah.
2: You the Callaway one or the uh,
1: a number of them along the way, but um, I guess probably five years ago, someone had to explain to me what a podcast was.
2: <laughs> um, so let's get the. We want to talk with. the Let's talk injury first. I know we want. We want to hear kind of an update on what your timeline is, when the timeline of the injury, where you are now, what that means for your future, uh, and what does that look like at the moment.
1: I can answer most of that. Uh, <laughs> You know, the injury really started at the U.S. Open. Uh, Playing in the third round, uh, hit it into some long rough on 14 and decided to kind of have a go at it about 120 yards from the green. Felt like I could carry some trouble and get it up there on or around the green and made a real hard swing at a ball and some heavy rough, and the club just shut down at impact. And, uh, you know, you put all that force into it with your body, and uh, I kind of felt, you know, a jab back in my shoulder and kind of ran a little bit down my collarbone. And, And since then... You know, I tried to play through it um, and started out just being a little bit sore. It wasn't that hard to play through it, Um, and then it just progressively got worse. And by the time I got to the PGA, I really wasn't able to create any speed in my golf swing. I was in a lot of pain, and, you know, trying to play the PGA Tour at 70%, 80% is is difficult. You know, you you got so much talent, so many guys out there that, that have the opportunity to go low each and every day. And if you're not feeling well, you don't feel 100%. It's tough to compete. And I kind of you know, had to look in the mirror and say, I, I can't do it right now. Um, and, and since then, I've kind of been struggling to, to get back to healthy. You know, I've some, seen a few doctors, um, seen some confused looks on trying to figure out what was wrong. And I uh, was going through kind of therapy a little bit to uh, try to get back to 100% and, and uh, went through a period again where after a therapy session, uh, again, a lot of pain and soreness. But I think because of that, I learned a lot more about the injury and feel like uh, my doctors and I have a, a pretty good hold on what's going on. So I'm going to go back through therapy and uh, hope to be like January 1, kind of ramping up and getting ready for a season again. So, you know, we're sitting right now in, in early November. I, I need about, you know, a good six, seven weeks of, of uh, you know, going back through that therapy program and, and rehab and if I can get through that fine, which I, I'm hopeful and, and I believe I can, I, th- I think I'll be good for January one.
2: So, have you touched a golf club? And not much, no, not
1: much. The shots have been hitting. Uh, I was at a doctor out in Vale, and I was they had a little biomechanics lab, and I hit some shots for that, hoping that you know maybe it would help. Um, I made about ten or twelve swings there, and and then I made about ten or twelve swings off the Eiffel Tower. Uh, for the Ryder Cup promo, and that was the whole. Do you think you can? I, you know what? If it's if it's the Eiffel Tower, I'll get it yeah. done. <laughs> That's pre- pretty cool promotion. So I chipped some six irons off there, and and uh, had a lot of fun with Thomas.
3: Sometimes does that help you t- just to have that time away from over the time that them away from the clubs to kind I'm, of reset?
1: I'm used to it. Early in my career, I played a lot. I traveled a lot around the world after the, the PJ Tour season was over. And, and uh, once Tabitha and I started having children, and I wanted to slow down a little bit my schedule. And then as the kids got older and, you know, the, the winners, they were playing ball and sports. And uh, it gets harder and harder to miss and be away from your family. And so I identified the time really in that November, December, January was going to be the time where I really got away from the tour. So for about the last five, six, seven years, I've spent three, four months away from the tour throughout the winter months, been at home and really haven't had a club in my hand a lot during those, those times, maybe some club testing, you know, with Callaway. maybe a tournament here or there, but each and every year, I've gone for four and six weeks at a time without even picking my clubs up and then getting back to it. So this year, with the injury, I, I shut my season down a little bit early, but it doesn't feel much different than any other mm-hmm. year other than I, I know in my heart I'm not 100% healthy. But uh, it for me, mentally, it's good to refresh, get away. And then, uh, you know, January comes around. I'm kind of anxious and, and hungry to get out there and practice and, and get ready.
0: The Eiffel Tower thing kind of reminds me, we were talking, you know, before you got in, just what it's like to, to captain – in Europe versus the US. I, don't, I know you don't have a great sense to compare the two, but I'm curious, other stuff like that, was there anything that's been kind of wild about having to kind of promote yourself in a different continent and do all that stuff over there? Or is it, what's that been like for you?
1: You know, I, it's been a fun process. I think uh, I'm usually really comfortable uh, going to the press room, media. Um, but I actually usually enjoy that process. I've got a lot of friends in the media and I always felt i guess i start out kind of as a duty i mean it was my job to go into the press room give them a story give them something to talk about and and if i, I felt like if i did a good job doing that it would reflect on me and they'd they'd do a good job covering kind of me and and what i do for a living and, and i've always had that great relationship i was nervous to go to paris i mean you're kind of going to foreign soil uh you know we you feel like you go into Ryder cups and i didn't want to say anything that maybe could stoke a fire i mean we know their fans are great we know they're loud no bullets and uh, material yeah no bullets and more material and and uh but really you know it was uncharted waters i really hadn't hadn't done that before and usually when i walk into a press room i'm representing myself um you know my brand and and here i'm representing our country and uh an entire team and the pj of america and so uh it felt like a, a lot of weight on my shoulders but uh i, I kind of eased into it and and felt pretty comfortable after a while. So uh, it's been a great process. It's been uh, a lot of work, but it's been a lot of fun work.
2: I was going to say, does the captaincy kind of help take your mind off the the, your, the fact that you had this downtime with the injury? I mean, you're keeping yourself plenty busy.
1: Oh, I've been busier than ever. The Ryder Cup's kept me busy. My wife and I are building a home uh, in Jacksonville, Florida uh so the new home is going to be ready here in the next month or two um I me and tron should look at
0: buying your old place maybe. that's good there you go there you go i know you may course. be for sale
1: in about a year or so yeah all right we'll start saving um, up there you go uh so that's kept me busy and i've got a 13 and a 15 year old at home right. so that that in itself is busy so uh it's a rude awakening when all of a sudden man, i'm starting to think my 15 year old like i oh, don't know in three years she's gonna be in college at
3: so are you but, doing uh, the learner's permit thing
1: right now? We are doing the learner's permit thing right now. mildly terrifying? I've ducked a few times, so i just <laughs> say that. I might put a hole in the floorboard on the passenger side because <laughs> there's a couple times I want to hit the brake and it's not really there. Uh, but she's a pretty good driver. She's she's the cautious one in the family. You know, uh, the kids both ski, and she they're both really good skiers. She's the one that's cautious, mindful, uses her head. She drives the same way. My 13-year-old boy, that could be – he's aggressive, so – uh, that could be interesting when uh, a year and a half from now when he has his permit, I'm I'm going to be, I'm going to be nervous.
0: Ponte Vedra is a good place to learn to drive. It's it pretty, is pretty low key except for A1A, except for, yeah, you can get rear-ended by some, some sleepy people behind you. A1A so, has
1: a few places where people go too fast, especially in like that South Ponte Vedra. you get sure. down South of there. It's But uh, yeah, it's a good spot. It's, I, I love living there. Um, I've been there now for over, I think for 21 yeah, years. What
0: brought you guys there? Curious, kind of, of all the spots you can. You
1: pick. know, I've, early in your career, I was a nomad. I mean, I basically was a gypsy living out of my car for for the first couple of years, playing mini tours and the web.com dot uh, tour. So, yeah, I look back. I left school and I graduated in '92. Um, that summer, I played some mini tour events out of the trunk of my car. I went back in the fall to Arizona to graduate. Took me four and a half years and went through tour school as well. And I got a conditional card on the Web and. From there, it was kind of, you know, back home for in, in Pennsylvania for Christmas, back to Arizona, working on my game, getting ready. And uh, I grabbed a car, and I started in Yuma, Arizona. I had that car in Florida. I had it in the state of Maine. I had it back to Texas. I got that car all the way up to the uh, state of Washington. What kind of car right was downtown. it? It was a Pontiac Bonneville. Oh, um, <laughs> and all I wanted to make sure is that I had cruise control. That was the most important thing. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that car hit – four corners in a year and and uh you know a lot of fun but i never really had a home to be honest with you i'd be in arizona for the winter i'd be in pennsylvania for the summer the two places i grew up and went to school and and then when i kind of established established myself on the PJ tour in my rookie year i started looking for a place to live and uh mark carnival was a young player on tour and he had just moved to pontevedra he was telling me about a townhouse he bought there about the cost of living the prax facility and I was looking at buying a townhouse back home in Pennsylvania that was almost twice the cost. Uh, taxes were higher. Weather wasn't as good. And then I had TPC at the practice facility uh, in Ponte Vedra. I kind of said, well, this is you know this is crazy. And during the master's that year, I went to uh, Ponte Vedra, stayed at the Marriott there at Sawgrass. My parents came down to visit, and they helped me look for a place to live and ended up buying a townhouse there. So I've been there ever since for 21 years.
3: In the Jags, I mean, the the Jag- ja- you
1: know, the Jags had to be a big selling point.
0: I was trying too, to right? get him hyped up on the Jags on the way here. He wasn't Steelers taking it. Fan. He's big yeah. I'm a Steelers fan. I'm a fan. The
1: Jags wore the Steelers out earlier this year. It's a sore point. I think there's only like two or three teams in the league that Steelers have a lifetime losing record to it. I mean, Jacksonville's one of them, which is no, crazy.
0: There's only one or two teams in the league that the Jags have a winning record. To it <laughs> as well, think, probably, it's
1: probably not that bad. <laughs> but
0: so what? I, you brought that up
2: that just the mini tour life and what and whatnot and. I think that's kind of the, the part when you can look back at your career, that's, that's probably not what somebody would focus on. But what, what do you remember most about those days? And what, what's like, What's the funding like in, in that, when you're initially getting started? Or do you have sponsors that are helping fund your travel? Because the prize I, money is not, I not did. there.
1: We, we raised some money. I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We raised some money with uh, some folks at the club I played at, some friends of the family. Um, so we were probably raised uh, close to $20,000. Uh, which now doesn't sound like a lot of money, but uh, I'm I'm very thankful the folks that uh, lent me money to go out and play. At the end of the year, they weren't trying to make money, you know. Which is usually, you know, you have a, a contract where kid goes out, maybe the sponsors raise fifty thousand dollars. He travels on that for the year, but for every dollar he makes, you know, he may give back seventy five percent of the first fifty, you know, fifty to hundred thousand, right. and then it. That number keeps dropping, and I, I've heard stories where even Payne Stewart, <laughs> it took him years yeah, I remember to reading, get out from underneath uh, his Bud sponsors. Sweat
3: and teas about Rich Beam, like you know, I think it was El Paso Country Club or whatever. Like all those guys got together and gave him money, and then they you know, he ended up winning the Kemper, and they ended up forgiving his debts and all that. But like that was a big deal; otherwise, he was right. going to owe you know, like seventy-five percent of that winner's check to mm-hmm. them. Right. So
1: and I, so I was lucky at the end of the year. I I gave back. The money. There was one gentleman that wouldn't even let me give back, you know, whatever, $7,500. So, uh, you know, I I always feel indebted to those folks, and they were real close friends of the family. A couple of those folks, you know, if anything ever happened to mom and dad, they would be the guys I would lean on for advice and, and kind of being a surrogate father. So uh, my, my grandmother also, when I was – when uh, she worked for Gannett for the, the newspaper, and uh, every check she put $25 away for her grand, grandchildren. So I had – close to $15,000 when I graduated from college that we threw into that pool as well. So I'll never forget what grandma did. And, uh, she used to tell me when I was a kid that she was throwing these, you know, putting them in the CD and putting it here, putting there, and we're saving money. And you know, when you're eight years old, you're like, Oh, okay. you yeah, know, Great. But it, once and I turned, like, it was oh, really, gosh. it was really cool that, yeah. that, that almost accounted for half the money that they, that we had raised. So, um, you know, I wasn't a kid that came out of college where anyone expected, you know, there wasn't any agents knocking on the door. Uh, my first year out, uh, I was playing Tommy armor golf. my dad worked for Tommy armor golf. He was a sales rep. My dad was an ex club pro. Um, so no one, I mean, no one was knocking on the door, no agents, no club companies, no ball company. Um, I really, you know, I had a decent, I was t- all American a couple times. times had a decent college career, but I was a kid with the goofy swing and I played okay. I didn't have a very good amateur career, um, and turned pro. And, uh, so I needed a kind of the mini tours. I needed a web.com tour. I needed a place to kind of grow at my own rate. I think one of the things I feel almost bad for some of the kids come out of college, I feel great for them that, you know, they're going to sign with a the company. They're going to make a little money but it puts so much pressure on them, and folks mm-hmm. expect everyone to be the next Jordan Spieth and someone that matures at an ultra-rapid pace, and, and so the expectation sometimes on these young kids is difficult, you know, and that, it's not their expectations, it's outside expectation, and it's hard, sometimes it's hard for a 20-year-old to deal with that, and, and they're not allowed to improve at their own rate, and I think kind of back to maybe even someone that came out maybe a little untouted, like Ben Curtis had the same thing. He went and won the British Open so early, and I'm sure he wouldn't trade it for the world, but then they expected him to be a major champion. Yeah. And heck, I had never heard of Ben Curtis when he won that <laughs> tournament. And I was on tour. <laughs> so, you know, he's a great guy and I, it took him a while, but he matured into a great player. One more, one more golf tournaments. Um, but stuff like that was hard for, for young players. And I had never was dealt that card. I was always dealt the, you know, no one, under the radar, no had. one looking my way. I was able to improve at my own rate. And, when I did gain some success as a young tour player, and and by the time I won my first event, I was prepared for it. If that made sense, you know, I felt confident in in who I was on tour and that I belonged and that I could back it up. And by the time I won the major championship in '03, and people identified that as a life changing experience, I really felt like, well, you've been not, building I, up to it for. A long I built up to it. I, it was my seventh win. I felt like you know I, I was ready for that, and. It changes things, but it wasn't a life-altering experience for me. From uh, from that perspective,
0: that's insane. That so 2000. That was Ben Curtis won the Open that year. I think it right? was. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine another time when? The defending U.S. Open champion has never heard of the next major <laughs> champion. That's, that's insane. I didn't
1: know who Ben was. He was <laughs> yeah, in his rookie year. Oh, no, of course. That's, uh, nobody did. Yeah. He no, played man. well. I think at maybe was he, like, fourth alternate or something. He, he played well that? at maybe like in Chicago that year and earned enough money to squeak into the field. That's and he was, won yeah. the tournament. I went. It's I actually honestly, relatively I've never, impressive. never met this guy. Oh,
3: totally. That he. He, like, he, he
1: won again on tour after yeah.
0: that and kind of Shout validated. out to the Booze Allen Classic. Yeah. Right. He won yeah. in Texas,
1: too, didn't he? Yeah, he, yeah, really he won probably yeah. three or four times yeah. uh, in his career and and turned into a real solid, a Ryder yeah. Cup player, yeah. turned into a real solid player. But Ryder Cup. Was yeah. he really? Yeah, he played the Ryder Cup in 08 when we won. Oh, that's right. That's Come right. to think of it, he's 1-0. I mean, he's, he might yeah, have the secret. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's who we've been Might missing. have to tap into this. Future <laughs> <laughs> captain. Yeah, make a call. Who are your assistant captains? Right now, yeah. uh, Davis Love has been named. Okay, That's so it. and we'll probably—I'm not sure when the PJ of America. What, what time they have in mind? I have some guys obviously in mind that, uh, and I have—I'm allowed to name five vice captains. So okay. I'd expect maybe in January, or February, we'll we'll name uh, two or three more.
2: Hey uh, Tron, the holiday season's coming up soon. Uh, what
3: are you doing for the holidays? Oh man, it is coming up. Uh, I'm going to Australia. Play some golf.
2: I am too. This is your first ad read, by the way, isn't it? Uh, I am too. Why don't you tell us a bit about the holiday gift guide that Callaway, our friends at Callaway have.
3: Well, we could probably use some of these. It's some crumb softballs, uh, the ball that changed the ball, Thirty-one ninety-nine plus free personalization on the website. Anyone use that ball that we know? Jim Furick, who we're actually sitting with right now.
2: He's making faces at us yeah. as we record he shot this. He
3: 58 with it.
2: <laughs> Go to calalegolf.com slash gift guide. Stock up on these. Take advantage of the great offer while it lasts. Chrome soft, the ball that changed the ball. Now let's get back to our conversation with Jim Fury. It's actually
3: a really good deal. It is a very good deal.
2: Well, that's a good transition because I've got a myriad of things I want to ask about the Ryder Cup. He's, Kinda, like, obsessed. I'm, I'm a big Ryder Cup guy. Right. So um, I do want I want to go back to, to – I'm to Fort... like,
1: go through, like, Q&A like you're going to test my knowledge. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not a trivia
2: question. <laughs> Samuel Ryder. Um, so I want to go back to 14 at the press conference. I didn't look up the exact quote, but you famously said something along the lines of, if it was up to me, I would have changed this shit a long time ago. You're now the captain for the 18 team. So has this shit changed?
1: (laughs) Did I say that? Yeah. I said that in the press conference? Yeah. I was probably trying to avert any attention that was going other way during the press conference. (laughs) (laughs) Look over here. If you look, if you look at the tape, jump on the if you looked at the tape of that press conference, I was sitting to the cameras far right, as far right as I could get. I was, <laughs> if they'd let me sit off the stage because <laughs> I've been in, you know, my, my biggest regret really in, in my whole career is the Ryder Cup is my favorite event. It's, it is the greatest sporting event in golf, in my opinion. Uh, and so, for me to go into nine of those as a player and have those teams come out two and seven. So, losing seven times is my biggest regret. And I've sat in that press conference so many times, and, you know, the questions are coming up, and they're, you know, starting to point fingers. And we've stayed pretty unified as a team for the most part. And it it just, I'll be honest, it sucks to be up there and yeah. to lose and, and then to immediately, because the losing team, you go right to the – closing ceremonies and then they march the losing team right into the press. So you haven't really had a lot of time to digest what just happened. You have you sit on the stage and you go through the ceremony and one team's happy and one team's not. It's uncomfortable and then you walk over to the press and you know and it starts and so you know I it used to be Tiger and Phil were on all those teams and they were going to answer 90% of the questions, right? They're going to ask Tiger the first question, they're going to follow up with Phil the captain the rest of us i mean i Ooh, used to say i used to say honestly i could sit on the one side of the stage probably pick my nose and no one would notice <laughs> and uh, Just try that and time. so we're walking in the press room and i'm looking around and i said "Well, you know phil's here and i'm looking at all the guys on the team and i said oh no like you know i've played eight or nine of these now and i'm the guy <laughs> i'm gonna get the second question i know it's coming i mean i know it's coming and so they lead in with tom and you know, he talks about disappointment and, and we didn't win. And then they lead, you know, come to Phil, and I know I'm getting the next question. So I remember thinking, you oh, know, I'm just over here minding my own business. And, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think the quote that I made, if, when you go back and read it, is we didn't have a lot of answers at the time. Right. You know, there was criticism that we weren't a team, that we weren't together, that we weren't close. Uh, now you read the press and, you know, Jordan and Justin, and they're all buddies, and they hang out off the course, and everyone's tight. I mean, winning solves a lot of issues when you look at it. You know, when mm-hmm. when when your when your football team's winning, the coach is the greatest coach <laughs> in the world. And when it wasn't that long ago, Mike Tomlin was a heel, right? Now they're winning, and he's the greatest coach ever. It's everyone jumps on that bandwagon as, as far as it's an easy story. And so, uh, you know, for us though, as a team, we kept coming up empty and and losing those events and we were looking for answers and so i think when the press looked and said what's going to change it and i was like well if it was that easy <laughs> we'd be winning right, right. If, if it were that easy we've, we've all worked hard we've all um we've all tried to make it better but you know we keep coming out on a losing end and and so i think you know when we all got together in west palm as as a group and they you know it was called the task force the Ryder cup task force which not the best name but I think it's it it helped us get together as players, as past captains, as the group as pJ of America as a whole, to kind of get together, band our thoughts together, and uh, try to create a plan for the future and and a long-term plan for the future of what can we do in any way to help this team improve and to get better and and give them the best opportunity to win? and And now we've had some success. We want to ride our cup. We want a president's cup. And I read the stories, and, you know, it all goes back to, boy, I don't know what they talked about in that room, but, well, you know, the President's Cup team has had success for a lot of years. You know, Fred yeah. Couples ran a great ship, went to Jay Haas. They passed it down to Steve Stricker. Um, you know, I, I think that would be almost a shot to them to say that the task force made us made us good in that event. But, um, you know, the Ryder Cup committee has worked hard to give – the team and the captain an opportunity to succeed and I think one thing we can't do is look and say well just because of those meetings this team's playing great now it, you know the, the kids you look at the guys that played in the Ryder Cup and the shots that were hit and the quality of not only the veteran play but young players stepping up like a Brooks Kepka playing in his first Ryder Cup um, they've had some great shots and they've played amazing and you got Phil Mickelson shooting whatever it was 52 and coming out with a half against Sergio and <laughs> one of the greatest Ryder cup matches ever on, uh, on Sunday. So the guys have played really good golf. Um, our, our job as captains, our job, uh, with the Ryder cup committee and the PGA of America is just to be able to set an atmosphere and give, uh, give the guys on the golf course every opportunity to be able to compete and to play well. And, and, and Davis did a great job, uh, both in his first time as captain and a second time as captain is really kind of setting that atmosphere and, and letting the guys go out and play and play free. And uh, it was fun to watch. It was fun to be there as a captain. And, and uh, you know, I feel like we all felt like we had a little part in it, but I'm so proud of and happy really not proud's even a bad word. Uh, I'm so happy for the guys that played on that 16 team to watch them have success because my era didn't have that much success, you know, and only two wins.
2: so I mean, it's. It, I always go back to like 12 Ryder Cup where obviously the U.S. team didn't end up winning, but I didn't feel like that was poor leadership in any capacity. I mean, the, the, the leadership in my mind kind of goes into that team structure for the team play. When singles rolls out, other than determine the order, there's not really anything a captain can do. So I look back at that team and think there was not anything functionally wrong with that. And it, probably things don't get blown up if we don't lose that Ryder cup uh do you see it that way or is that am I am I thinking too far in into
1: 2012 that? so back at Medina
2: right so we we're t- up 10-6 well six, I
1: one I'll say I don't feel like I've ever played for a poor leader or that we've had poor right. leadership in any sense of the form um I've never played for someone where i mean, th- the folks I've played for spent two years of their life and now being a captain I know how hard they worked how hard they tried and, and I've always felt like um felt like I've, had, I've played for great captains and my captaincy will be a reflection upon it i mean i'm going to pull bits and pieces from every Ryder cup i played on things that i loved about the captain and and how they managed a the team and i'll pull bits and pieces from every one and it'll be a reflection on each and every one of them um 12 was i mean we dominated thursday and friday or friday and saturday um you know we should have been where there's a chance that we could have been five or six points up going the sunday and it would have been over and that we had a four-point lead. It had only been overcome once, and I was on that team in '99. Um, we just we laid an egg on Sunday. Yeah. We we didn't get it done. We didn't play well. They got the momentum, and as that momentum turns, you can feel it on the golf course. And uh, I was one of those matches. I mean, I I had Sergio in my mind beat. Uh, I was one up on 16, and he was dead and made. An unbelievable up and down. Uh, I lipped out a birdie putt, and we have that hole. Oh, I lost 17 and 18, lost a match one down. I was part of that problem, and and uh, definitely probably one of the most dejected feelings, I think, as a player to, to walk out of there after a four-point lead on Sunday. And, and I guess for all the wrong reasons, I mean, I felt as a player, I felt terrible, and then having a close friend in Davis be the captain, I felt bad for Davis as well. Um, but one of the things you have to realize as a captain and, and I mean, you're in the hot seat, I mean, no matter what, you know, if the team does well. Um, they play it up like, you know, it was a great captaincy. And I think every good captain will say, give all the credit to their team. I mean, they're the guys hitting the shots, but you have to be prepared as a captain. If the team, uh, for one re- reason or another doesn't do well, um, you know, it, it's your fault. It, you know, you're that you, you, take the job knowing that. And, um, but the event means so much to me and and has meant so much to my career and you know we all want to win golf tournaments we all want to win major championships and for me to start at the start of every year one of my goals was to make those teams and one of the proudest things in my career I guess would be that I was able to qualify for so many of those um
3: what was your first one 97 97 97 at At
1: Valderrama and that was a strange week with the rain and I was they always you tell every rookie that like your first Ryder Cup, the first three or four days of practice will feel like two weeks, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday will like go by in fifteen minutes. I, I mean, it flew by. I really was so green and so young, and I over practiced and I wore myself out. And <laughs> yeah. then I went out and play. I mean, I did everything ster- like stereotype what 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 you could do wrong. <laughs> During a Ryder Cup week, I did it that week. I mean, without
2: a doubt, Um, showed up really early and
1: stayed stayed practice too late. Rushed, you know. You you don't. You don't. Your your whole the heart. One of the hardest parts about the Ryder Cup is it totally flips your normal schedule. You're not on your own schedule like usual. You're on a team schedule, which is pretty easy for most people. But we're out. We're up later at night for functions and dinners Mm -hmm. and stuff we don't usually do early in the week in a normal event. And then you're up. Early every morning because there's really no time to sleep in until Sunday. Right, matches start early on Friday and Saturday. You have to be up early for practice because they have media scheduled, they have picture scheduled, they have opening ceremony scheduled. So, you got to get your practice in early as well. You just guys don't get a lot of rest, and that'll be one of the challenges. That's a big challenge of flying east going over the pond. Jet lag, guys are worn out, so it'll trying to manage our time well and get these guys enough rest and and prepare and getting over the jet lag will be important.
0: Is there a week off this year? Right after,
1: right after after the tour championship. So it's tough. We'll have guys, you know, we'll meet in a hotel in Atlanta Sunday night, kind of get organized and then we'll hop on a charter and, and fly. I'm imagining we'll probably, I'm trying to put the numbers together, but we'll probably arrive in Paris. We'll probably land around noon on Monday. No. Uh, with the time change. So,
2: is there a week off before the tour championship or is it there before is. BMW? There okay. is.
1: So, we have the three playoff events in a row, uh, one week off and tour championship. So, what,
3: what for you as the captain is like kind of the most unexpected? I don't want to say time suck because it's all valuable. It's all, you know, details that you have to kind of factor in. But what's the biggest surprise to you where you're like, man, like
1: it took me eight hours to choose these rain suits? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, you know what? We've kind of got it. The PJ of America's got it down pretty good right now. If anything, uh, I would say that there's times where I want to be more involved. Um, mm-hmm. but Polo Ralph Lauren is the clothing supplier. This is the fourth time they've done it. So, you know, it, it, right now we vetted through issues, problems, you know, and you can only reinvent red, white, and blue so many ways. So it's a, <laughs> it's a tough challenge for them to make the clothes look sharp and, you know, Mm-hmm. they've been doing it now this is this is four times so they've had to come up with 29 different red white and blue shirts by this point um but there was no thought i to guess the nothing's been a giant surprise um i enjoy like at home i have a little golf tournament in jacksonville for some friends that about four or five of us host and so we each do a little bit like i make t-shirts and hats and it's kind of like gifts for everyone. I love seeing the those t-shirts so around town. We They're make like really, we make yeah. logos. I've and got a hand-me-down. It's like the best t-shirt I have, by the way. <laughs> so we <laughs> have we have fun with it. I cool. like I like designing the hat. I like doing that part of it. So uh, you know, we're just we've designed the the hats for the Ryder Cup. the The clothing's pretty much done. I did the media, and and right now we're, we're, I'm just kind of more in the collecting data. I just came back from a really cool. Um, the PJ of America had their annual meetings in Austin, Texas, and. They invited me to come out, uh, and they had—they uh, were trying to get all six Ryder Cup captains that live in Texas, and Jackie Burke wasn't well enough to make it, but I had Lee Trevino, Lanny Watkins, uh, Hal Sutton, Tom Kite, Ben Crenshaw uh, all up on stage, and I sat in the back like a, like a little kid and watched, and <laughs> they talked about their Ryder Cup experiences, and then after about an hour, they invited me up on stage for like the last 30 minutes, and I got to sit up there and talk about being a captain, and uh, it's just an honor. I mean... I I look I've said this a million times but I start you know I started playing for Tom Kite and Ben Crenshaw so two folks that I wanted to emulate that that I looked up to that I watched when I was a kid and they were my first captains and then as I grew you know through uh, House Curtis Strange and then it went to Hal Sutton who I played against uh and paul azinger and all of a sudden it became like the folks that i played against then you had davis love and i'm like all right here's one of my friends you know (laughs) it's almost my age and uh so it it was kind of a nice fun growing experience but to spend that time with with the past captains and hear their ideas and how the Ryder cups changed so much and and blown into this massive event and to hear them talk about it was really cool
2: what uh, So in the way you described it, it doesn't sound like a ton actually ended up changing about the process in the captaincy. I mean, is that is that accurate to say?
1: Well, I think there was a, a couple key points. We, we talked about uh, how we were going to identify captains in the future, what was important. Um, I don't know. There wasn't like a list made that here's what we're going to do for the next four or five years. But the idea was uh, one of the important things I came out w- with it was we're going to one, identify the future captains, and we're going to give them some experience. So I think one of the things we've done to the captain in the past, I think they've all done a good job, but I think they all would have liked to have probably been a vice captain to start with. And I think I might, out of the nine captains, nine times I played, I played for eight captains, maybe one or two of them had experience as a vice captain before. I think Davis was a vice for Corey, and Corey might have been a vice captain for a layman, I can't remember, but there was only one or two that had any experience at all as a captain. They all played in a lot of Ryder Cups, but to be behind the scenes, to see the decisions that have to be made, the timing of those decisions, um, interaction with the, with the uh, team, I, I think is valuable. So for me to do it at the President's Cup twice for Jay Haas and for Steve Stricker and to also be a vice captain for Davis, the last Ryder Cup, is invaluable for me. So that's one of the things we wanted to do too. I think um, we kind of developed more of a long-term plan instead of uh, we have to win now. You know, it was kind of the idea was let's let's look ahead, let's look ten years, twenty years into the future. What's it going to take to build? And I think any major corporation would look at their business that way. You want to be successful now, but what's going to help carry us? Let's in the back of our mind. What's going to carry us in the next ten Ryder Cups? And the goal would be to try to have a winning record for the next 20 years, that would be a success, especially coming off of 20 lean years where we, you know, went two and seven or two and eight. Um, and I guess last a lot of it was what's going to help the players, you know, succeed. How, what can we do? And and the idea was the PGA of America committed to the players and the captains we will do whatever it takes. And, um, so Davis left me with some wise, wise words, uh, that I'll never forget. When decisions are made, and especially heat of the battle, heat of the moment, or leading up to the Ryder Cup, because a lot of decisions will be made in the last couple of months, the one question he said he always asked himself was, Will this help the team? You know, there's going to be a lot of chaos and a lot of noise. And, um, you know, even picking uniforms, I mean, I want the guys to be comfortable. Will this help the team in, in all the decisions? So, um, you know, one thing as a captain we always want is I want my players comfortable. I want them knowing exactly who they're going to be playing with. I don't want to throw them any curveballs Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So I want want there to be a nice game plan going into the Ryder Cup, right? And I don't really want to veer from that game plan too much. We'll have a, you know, A plan, a B plan, you know, and a backup plan. And, and I want them going in and prepared. The idea is they're going to play the tour championship, and someone's going to be trying to win $10 million the day that we leave for the Ryder Cup, right? <laughs> I'm thankful to have that week off the week right before the Ryder Cup. I think that gives me a chance to talk to the guys to prepare. Who do you want to play with? Who do you think complements your game? Uh, You know – sometimes you're probably you
3: thankful that the year you won the tour championship you didn't have to go play the i did Ryder cup i did that. i hopped right oh, on a plane oh, that was manor
1: oh, yeah that was celtic manor i hopped right on a oh, plane I I never got a chance to celebrate friend. i think i had a beer at the hotel oh, we hopped on a plane went over there and it was like full full mode right wow. into Ryder cup um so i know what what that guy i don't know exactly how he feels i yeah. lived it um i think cory cory sat me out of the first match on friday morning and the idea was he wanted to give me kind of a chance i think to decompress Compress, and then the yeah. plan was to go play the last three matches and in, in, the, in the singles and then we got the rain and we had a, a session cut short so it was uh everything kind of got flipped on top of itself that week but you want the guys to really go in there comfortable to to not have any curveballs to not have any changes and uh it sounds easier than it is in the whole process it's it's been a really eye opening and uh now that the president's cup has changed and we play less matches there we have a lot of the same issues with matching up players and when to sit when to play um it, it's been a great experience for me for the last three years. The
3: President's Cup, have you kind of used that as a proving ground for some – I mean, has there been a cohesive effort
1: to I think that? it's good for us. I think you look at the European team and they have the uh, – they call it the Asia Cup or the – The Eurasia Cup. Eurasia Cup. Yeah, Cup. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a practice run for them. I think it also – maybe some of their uh, top players, you might not see like a Justin Rose, Henrik Stenson, every year in that event. But it allows them to give some of their younger players – Create some uh, depth. And, some yeah. depth, but – give them an idea of what's going to happen during Ryder cup time. And it gives the captain kind of a practice run as well. So he has a, a year to kind of get used to some of the guys, how he's going to pair them, who may fit well, who may not. Uh, I think it's good for them. And, and, and that's what the president's cup does for us. It gives us a chance to uh, see personalities. We had five guys this year uh, playing the president's cup that had never played an international competition. So I think it was great for them to get some experience, get an idea of who they are, who they match up with, who they pair well with. Um, it, it, you know great great lessons for us
0: you mentioned uh the vice captains a little earlier i know he's been around the last couple of times but what's what's vice captain tiger like
1: he has been uh, great great for the team um i think it's been a good it's been a good two-way for him as well you know tiger's been away from uh competitive golf now for quite some time and i think he misses kind of being with the guys a little bit with you know we have a great camaraderie and a lot that locker room talk and the jabs and the barbs and the sarcasm but the camaraderie and you know the hugs afterwards when you you know a job well done I, I think he's missed that and uh and it's good for him to be in that atmosphere and be back with the guys and and then we get twofold for him um you know arguably the greatest player of all time so not only physically but mentally right we get to see kind of a strategy and a style that's what i was going to say like what he, kind of stuff is he that he brings to the table he's good with pairings uh good at maybe picking out what the other captain may may or may not do. Um, he, uh, he, he's he been an unbelievable resource for both Davis and Steve and uh, trying to pair up guys. And then I think you also had the other side of it. There's a lot of guys on that team, young players, that, that actually play golf for a living because they wanted to be the next Tiger Woods, right? So to have him in the team room, a couple of them, I, I think the first time I was just worried that they'd be in awe. Like <laughs> – Oh my God, Tiger Woods is in what my he team says, room. Right? They, and mean, he's they, helping yeah. you know, helping <laughs> me, but it, it turned into a, it was this positive that, you know, they, they liked kind of giving him, ribbing him, giving him some barbs, but they really enjoyed having him in the team room and, you know, they were poking at him a little bit the first year, like, Hey, we want you to get healthy. We want we want to play against you. I mean, we grew up wanting to be you. We want, want to beat you. we want to yeah. beat you. And you could see a couple of like me and Layman and Davis wherever <laughs> they're going, Yeah, be careful what you ask for, man. <laughs> we had fifteen years of getting our rear ends beat, so we're like, you know, you might not want to go that way. Just just say
0: it. Well that's what I'm curious about. You know, you've you've been a peer of his for so long now, you've probably seen him change a lot. I'm curious kind of what he you know, seeing him in that atmosphere, has he always kinda of had that side of himself or is he as kinda of closed you know, back in the day was he kinda of as closed off as people make him out to be or?
1: No, I don't think he was closed off. I think you, you look at Tiger when he was a young player. He was the best player in the world. It was kind of like Jordan Spieth, you know, being so young but so good and cast into that leadership role. And and I think probably for Tiger, he probably felt like there was older players on the team. He didn't want to step on their toes. He didn't want to assume a leadership role when you had guys that have played in five, six, seven Ryder Cups on the team. And so – Uh, I think he was happy early on kind of going about his own business and then as he grew and as he got older and uh, I think he started assuming that role more and more but I think from the outside folks looked at him a little bit maybe viewed him as close but he was young as well and and uh, I think one thing that my my era you know Mickelson myself Tiger um, I always wanted to show respect for the players that were there before me and I wanted to you know I wanted to make sure that when I played on a team with Tom Lehman, or I played on a team with Payne Stewart, or uh, I mean, they were our older older player, our veteran leaders, and and uh, you know you you want to help and you want to be involved and you want to be in the team room, but you also want to you know you want to follow their lead. They've been there, they know how to they know how to get to the end and, and win. So uh, I think Tiger was doing much the same, and as he grew, he grew into that role of being a leader on the team.
3: What does Tiger call you, Just Jimmy, or like he's got like a little nickname for everybody?
1: I guess. Uh. He does. I, I guess I hear Jimmy a lot. Uh, he calls my wife Tabs a lot. He puts an S at the end. Of tabs. <laughs> I love Tabs. Instead of Tab, <laughs> uh, Tabs. Uh, Jimmy. Uh, he
2: adds like the the IE to everything. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah.
1: To you know, you I, I guess he's called me a lot more names than that that I probably couldn't <laughs> repeat. And I, but I've always taken it in an endearing way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so we, we both, the one similarity we have is we're both very sarcastic. So like with my friends and people that I'm close with, I, I like to give them a hard time and rib them. And, uh, and he's, I think he's really enjoyed that, but he's very good at giving it back. And ultimately he's the best ever. You're going to lose yeah, eventually. He's, but he's got the Trump card. No matter yes, what, he does.
2: Always. I mean, not only do you, ha- you have this all-star team of of captains, but is it safe to say Phil kind of plays a assistant, like a playing captain's role in kind of a more senior role on the team too? He really
1: has. He really has, and and uh, it's good to see. I, I think when when Couples was captain, he would always, they, you know, the, the President's Cup teams back then didn't have a lot of captains. You know, he usually had one vice captain, so – the veteran players, you know, it it would be like Stricker, Woods, Mickelson, Furyk, get back here. I want to talk to you. And it would, he would lean on us as far as what do you see out there? You know, you're playing with these guys who's playing well, who needs to keep playing. Is there someone that's struggling? Who do we, who do we put an arm around? Who do we need to help out? And so Phil's been in that role for quite a long time. I think, you know, you saw it with a Keegan Bradley, you saw it with some younger players. Phil tends to take, I know, even as a veteran player in 2011, I was having a terrible season. I squeaked on the uh, after playing so well in 10 and being player of the year. I barely squeaked on the team in 11. And the first person Phil asked for it, I want to play with Furick And I always took that as always. He's saying that because he thinks he'll get the best out of me. He wants to kind of put his arm around me. And I know you had a tough year, but I know what's in there. We're going to go out there and win. And we did. Right? We went 3-0 and as a team. Uh, I played. That was probably my best team uh, event i've ever played in my career was in 2011 and and uh really it was you know he, he gained a lot of energy out of me and was a great teammate and uh he kept me loose which was uh which was great i think in, in these events when you're young you tend to worry about you know the best way i can help this team is i can go play my best golf and you get so focused on yourself and playing well and then as you grow into a phil mickelson or tiger Woods or someone that's played on a lot of teams you realize that it doesn't matter how well you play; you can't win it individually, right? It has to be a team effort. And you start looking around the team. You find the guy that's struggling, that may have it hanging in his head because of a putt. You, uh, you know, you start trying to raise the level of everyone around you. And if you can do that, you know, if everyone can try to do that and try to help their teammate, uh, the team becomes much better for it. And and then you start playing well as a team. That's when you start winning these events.
3: What do you guys talk about on on, on the earpiece? Voice. <laughs> I love
1: the that. earpiece. I, 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 I think get, Tiger I get, loves the earpiece. I get too. I get, <laughs> I get criticized. Tiger likes how the earpiece looks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get criticized for my banter a little bit. On the, I like to talk. You know, it's quiet out there. A lot of times we're by ourselves, and you're not talking to your team that much. So I want to talk to someone. um But you hear some jokes. I think probably my favorite thing that I've ever heard. I wasn't far behind the McElroy patrick reed match at hazeltine but you could just hear these epic roars coming from ahead and you knew where it was coming from you Mm -hmm. knew it was that match and tiger would have to wait for like two minutes for everything to calm down before we could even hear him on his mic and so you know you'd say all right you know they both just birdied four reed knocked in a 10 footer mcelroy topped with an eight footer well they got to number six and the par five and we hear this epic roar and it takes, it seemed like minutes before he could come on. And finally when it quieted down, someone said, Tiger, you got to let us know what's going on up there. And he goes, you won't believe this. You know, McElroy knocks it in from here. And he said, you know, Reed had this unbelievable putt, 15 footer. He knocked it in. He said he bowed and shushed him all at once on the way up to walking to the hole and, trying to envision that in my mind was I got to see it on tape later, but I about fell over. I was laughing so hard and, you know, the fans are looking at you and you feel like an idiot because I'm laughing and talking and trying to hear. And then they're, you know, if they're close, they're like, well, what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just think the little stories, the what's going on in the golf course, what do you see? Um, You know, every once in a while someone hits a bad shot and I'll say, all right, when you get to number six, you got to check it out. You know, look at the hot dog stand left, but someone hit it under this hot dog stand and you just got to see where it is. Um, You guys essentially turn into fans at that point.
2: We really really are. You can do during play.
1: No, I think really at that point, once once you're out on the golf course, the vice captain really can kind of lend to the captain. Hey, here's where the match stands. These guys are playing well. Um,
3: these guys have a good rapport with each other right they're now, doing so. well yeah.
1: together i think we need to send them out this afternoon or you know i've got a guy here that's struggling with this game he's missing a lot of fairways we're probably apt to sit him this afternoon give him a chance to practice get him back out on the golf course tomorrow um but those decisions have to be made pretty early sometimes you make those at the turn right for one of the last right. groups yeah because the afternoon pairings have to go out and sometimes they'll turn around the now on the back nine Something clicks. They yeah. make a bunch of birdies. They win a match, and you got to walk up to a guy and, hey, what time am I going out this afternoon? <laughs> uh, you're not. <laughs> you know, we're gonna sit you down and blah blah. blah. So, it uh, a lot of it's just having a report to players, giving them knowledge after the round, what's going on, are you playing, what time you're playing. Let me give you a ride. Let me get you ready. Uh, having anything on that cart ready that they may need. Um, you know, Lanny Watkins was telling a story about how. Nicholas always had, like, it looked like a toolbox or something on on the cart. He said it it was full of just crap, but he had everything he could possibly need. And he said, I was, back in the days of metal spikes, I had the spike that fell out of my shoe.
0: He was selling his ice cream out of there, too.
1: (laughs) It might have (laughs) been. They did talk about him eating ice cream afterwards and how good Barbara could cook. But he said it was on the inside of his right shoe, and every time he was kind of wet, and every time he went to push off, he was slipping on his right foot. And he said, I walked over to Jack and he had a pair of golf shoes on. And he said, Hey, can I pull a spike out of one of your shoes and put it in my right foot? He showed, it. He goes, I'm missing the spike. I'm slipping. And Nicholas just reached in the cart and he had a spike wrench and spikes. And he, <laughs> Lanny, put his foot up and he goes, And here I got Nick, Jack Nicholas changing the spike in my shoe. He goes, It's just priceless. So, will you, know, you wear golf shoes as captain? Uh,. Sometimes I have, but, you know, I wear a spi- I wear a, yeah. those are, those are, those are, are good. the bottom are spikless, shoes, so, yeah. they're spikeless shoes, I think we're walking a lot, we're, and we're used to being in our golf shoe while we're walking, so. You don't want to be a in I'll guy. wear, like, a running shoe, uh, you know, I'm Adidas, Adidas guy, so, with shoes, I'll wear a running shoe, or I'll wear the golf shoe that I wear on tour, that kind of looks like a running shoe mm. anyway, so, uh, I, I don't know if I'd go out there with the big metal spikes <laughs> and, and walk around, but. I'm on my feet so much and a lot of times walking the better part of 36. Yeah. So I want to be in a shoe that I'm really, really comfortable in. Has the,
3: uh, has the ping pong table ever gotten like too heated?
1: We had a guy this year in the Presidents Cup dive for a ball, and I—I'd like to say dive. I about dive, so it comes off the end of the table, and he goes running across and makes a diving effort on the ground to hit. And I was like, "All right, whoa, wait!" <laughs> I'm swearing at the guy. I go, "Are you absolutely kidding me?" Is Kuchar just heads and shoulders above everybody?
3: Or yeah, like, you know he
1: doesn't. He does, he he have a he does it without you. a great serve too. He just puts the serve in play and toys with everyone. But his volley and getting it back. Is phenomenal, phenomenal. He beat me this year. I was joking around with him. I knew he would, but he beat me. He played lefty and beat me. I just having fun. I said, "I think I can beat you lefty," and he went, "No." So, I lost a few bucks on that one.
3: (laughs) Let's say you just come out, just Dukes a hazard, just dig in this year, just come off that injury, and like you win twice or something on the West Coast swing, and you're 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 playing well, you're playing well, and you start rising up those Ryder Cup standings. Like, would you ever?
1: It'll be a tough year as far as media wise. In that. <laughs> um, Let's just start. And now. When yeah. I was named captain, I was, you know, that year, earlier that year, I was ranked number four in the world. Yeah. So the idea uh, at the time wasn't that far fetched. Was that,
0: was that kind of a weird feeling when you're no, playing that well? And it's like, well, hey, come on. No, you know, I'm still it was earlier
1: that year. Yeah. I'd, been, I'd been hurt for a while and, and I was asked the question, you know, by some folks is, is this a good time for you for the captain or do you want to you know continue trying to make the teams and um uh, I, I just felt like it was the right time and now I'm really thankful I've been hurt for a while I haven't been playing but I really wanted to be I always wanted to be the Ryder Cup captain at one time in my career I felt like the timing was right for me because I'm still on tour uh I'm somewhat relevant I can go out there and play practice rounds with you know, at the time, like this last year, I knew Justin Thomas, but I didn't know him that well, and I wanted to play some with him. I wanted to see his game. I wanted to get to know his personality. Uh, there's going to be more young players coming up, um, maybe a Xander Shoffley or maybe – and I hate to name names because I don't like to put pressure on these guys, but there's always going to be young players coming that I don't know very well, and I want to get to know them because it's not only knowing their golf game, but it's knowing their personality and, and how to how to pair them up, how they're going to fit into a team, what role they're going to play. Um, and, and I knew I could do that better before the age of 50 before I was yeah. maybe out playing the still Champions store still engaged and, and I know some of the younger players you know now I know Justin well say Jordan Spieth Patrick Greed. I can lean on those guys a little bit and say hey you know let's go play a practice round but let's Go, go get these two guys to play yeah. with us because I, I need to get to know them a little better. And Now I've got a guy that's comfortable with me that can kind of break that ice. And and I I, I always wanted that. I, I wanted to be relevant on tour. And, and Davis was able to do it at maybe a little older age at, say, 53 or 54. A lot of it was because of Drew. I mean, Drew yeah, played true. college golf with Justin. He Ooh. knew Jordan growing up. So he already had that relationship with some of the younger players that most – 53 54 year olds aren't going to have
0: I like how you, you very subtly dropped that you're somewhat relevant i still th- i mean you're one of the few guys <laughs> you're one of the i haven't been playing so it's been one months the, since i played one of the few guys who i think can walk into any golf course and everybody's going to know who you are and and it's kind of i always thought this about golf it's kind of weird you know golf has these superstars that kind of get isolated almost in golf i'm curious outside of golf how much anonymity do you have i mean you've you've done everything in your sport it depends, done, you know, it depends
1: a little bit where i'm at it still seems like you can it kind ramps of walk up if Walmart i play if i pl- might be
0: kind of you know I don't if know i play like.
1: well and win a tournament yeah. it ramps up a lot but there's still places my wife's from columbus ohio uh we go to a couple of house state games every year and in the parking lot 150 people will walk by <laughs> and want a picture or say hello i mean columbus is a giant golf town right so kind of depending where we travel and where we go we, you know it might be in uh, you know, i might be in paris and a random person will walk up and you know if, if it's just tab and i and the family we might walk all day for hours and then a random person walks up and says <laughs> you know takes a picture and it's yeah. kind of out of place uh but it's fun i, I i'm very fortunate in that um most of the folks that want to say hello and and it, it's just such it's a nice experience fan wants to come over maybe take a picture say hello wish you well and and off i go I mean, i've mean, i never been where i couldn't take my family to disney or okay. hang out with the kids or have a normal you're famous you know, but you're not too famous well that's kind of right a level so of for like yeah. a tiger or yeah. phil or that that's not always possible they don't go to yeah, dinner sure. in peace of course, if that yeah. makes sense where i can go to dinner and i may hear my name like hey that's jim fury because i'm walking by but yeah we can sit down and have a normal dinner and I you know I might look around and there may be a few eyes staring at me but for the players uh, this year we were sitting we
3: were sitting at Nona Blue in Pontevedra, and like Jordan and Smiley were sitting over there in the corner and like you know some like 60 year old guy walks up and just like interrupts the heck out of (laughs) the dinner and asks for a picture and it's just like have some shame, people. Well, you that's kind of I mean, what I was yeah. going
0: to get at. Is like, you know, you're you're kind of one of the one of the few remaining guys of that generation that didn't, you know, didn't have social, didn't have all these. You didn't have to put yourself out there in all these like crazy ways to raise your profile and serve your sponsors and do all that stuff. It's like, it seems like kind of a blessing almost to, to be in that yeah, spot.
1: Yeah, I think that you know, I'm I'm now on Twitter bec- because the PGA of America wanted me to <laughs> with the Ryder <laughs> Cup. Um, that's a fair. And it's of. it's been cool. I mean, I I've, I've enjoyed it, but. You know, I guess I also enjoyed kind of not having to do it, you know, and, yep, and sure. being a little bit anonymous. And, and I've always kind of felt like there's a couple things that are sacred to me. Um, one's my home. So like if you've noticed there's rarely I don't know if there is a picture of me in my home. We were anywhere. talking about
0: before he came in and I'm like he's one of the most famous people in golf. Like, I don't even know if he has kids. Like I don't know anything so, like about his personal I life. It's awesome. It's so refreshing. <laughs> it yeah. is.
1: I have a thirteen and a fifteen yeah. year old that are and great kids. Uh, my daughter's a sophomore. My my son is thirteen, he's in eighth grade. Um we have we have a close family. Uh they they used to and still travel quite a bit in the summer. Um, I thought by now they wouldn't want to, but they love traveling because that's what they've always done. Uh, and like my home is kind of sacred. Not really. I mean, well, some folks know my, f- I mean, in, in the media and that they know my family and my wife. Now, sometimes we walk in an airport and people like, if I'm not right there, they'll walk by and they know she's tab of the because of the web.com commercial. Exactly. And she was on it. And I've had people walk up and say, you know, I didn't really recognize you, but I saw your <laughs> wife. And then I looked over <laughs> and, and I get the biggest kick out of that. So she um, seems like she's
0: busy all the time. Like not to sound like a creep, but I see her around Jacksonville Beach. Like she's always really busy. Coffee shop. She, ru- she runs meetings. our foundation like, yeah, exactly.
1: for a full time job. She sits on a lot of boards. She sits on the board of uh, the Baptist Hospital in, in Jacksonville. I get to go to a lot of a lot of events as a plus one. It's kind of cocktail cool. Cocktail parties. So she's, yeah, yeah. Hang you out. Have her? a beer. Chat with everyone. It's pretty easy. The plus one job is a really good <laughs> gig. Just saying. How'd you meet her? Uh, I met Tabitha at the memorial. Um, so her. Her last couple, two and a half years of college, she worked for Muirfield Realty. So she worked her way through college uh there. Her boss at, at the company loves golf. I mean, a golf freak show, I guess, would be the best way I could say. Just loves golf, talks at 100% of the time. Back then he did. And uh he would take a week off of work to work a radio show at the event. So I think he... They'd plug into him every 20 minutes what's going on it'd update scores it'd go over to like a concession stand or he'd talk to fans and it would be like Mr. Golf, you know would sign in and it'd say something about what was going on at the memorial and so my wife's job for the tournament was basically you know it's a social it's a huge social event. He hung out she hung out there with with him and his fiance at the time and happened to be there for a few hours then she was going to meet some friends later at the tournament. And I was walking off the 18th green after a practice round and he interviewed me. But while he's interviewing me, I'm checking her out. (laughs) And I said hello to her. And then he kind of realized what was going on, introduced us. And, uh, he loves golf. So he asked if I'd go to dinner with he and his fiance and her at the time he asked, I actually didn't know which one was his fiance. (laughs) So then I was very uncomfortable for a little bit that I might be checking this guy's fiance out. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, it worked out. Uh, we went to dinner a lot that week, and uh, and have uh, been together ever since.
2: What uh, favorite question we love to ask people, when was the last time you paid for golf?
1: St. Andrews. Uh, and I don't remember the year, but probably in the last 10 years. St. Andrews, to the best of my knowledge, has no free lunch. So uh, I've always paid when I went there. It was like 85 pounds or 100. And, I don't know. It was but no big deal. It was yeah. a lot, A lot of fun. A lot of fun. The beer's a lot cheaper in the uh, <laughs> yeah. in the pub just to the back right. That's right. So good friend of mine used to own it.
2: What is the biggest fashion regret you have in your career?
1: The shirt with the buttons. I was, I was hoping right. you'd say that. <laughs> I was hoping. The shirt you'd with say the buttons. That. I was pretty quick too. Shirt with the buttons. I kind of like the shirt with the buttons. So well, you should bring it back. It was unique. You know, I had, I have a goofy swing. I do everything different, man. I put yeah. putt cross-handed. I have a weird grip on the club. I'm looping my swing. Might as well just throw the shirt with the buttons in there. <laughs>
2: uh, one of our guys, Big Randy, created a, wrote a piece for our site that's called the Tiger Tax. And it, he calculated how much money Tiger pumped into the game. And he kind of did a rough economic study. And one of the things we always ask people, too, is we were going to do a part two. We haven't done it yet. Well,
1: of- I'll say this before you go there. He cost us a ton of money because we always won. I mean, I Ernie Els would have had yeah. like 15 more wins if it weren't for Tiger Woods. That being said, he yeah. still made us way more yeah. than he cost so us. So that's
2: the question is if we were, the second part was going to be, we were going to start invoicing players, say this is how much money you, <laughs> you to you Tiger. You, yeah. you have to pay a tithe to Tiger. Right. How much money would you say Tiger has earned you in your career?
1: Well, you got to think when I started playing the tour, a pretty good sized purse was 1.5 million. Right, and some of them were only one million at the Which time. One point five, uh, maybe a major was two. I, I don't remember. And then good time to throw in you. made up was nine 10, ten million. That was nineteen. <laughs> that was nineteen ninety four. By two thousand, you know, a pretty good purse was six million dollars. Early two thousand, less than ten years, they quadrupled, and a lot of that had to do with with Tiger. So, you know, I, I don't know if he made me four times the amount of money, but probably triple. Wow double for sure
2: yeah it's usually we answer we get it's like charles house at iom half of my earnings probably so, but yeah oh i don't owe it lot. to him I just well, I, I mean, not technically
1: I mean, i'll go on record right now he hates to pay a bet so i don't know how much i owe him back so. <laughs> tell us more about that yeah, yeah i'm just kidding i'm just kidding <laughs> i
0: know one of my favorite stories i heard you tell in a press conference a while ago was he
1: doesn't lose very often so he doesn't have that's, yeah, that's, that's true. true
0: he's not used to it uh i remember hearing in a press conference you talking about your first time on the range at sony I don't know if you remember telling that yeah. story and if you they had never heard it, I was curious if you could kind of give me a refresher on that.
1: That yeah, one of my funniest and probably worst feeling moments in my career. So my first tour event as a member, I guess. That's I played okay. some as a non member. Yeah. But we went over to Sony. Sony's got the smallest range on the PJ tour. It's tiny. Can't fit anyone on it. Because of that, by Wednesday, there's no grass on the range, right? It's just chewed up and it's a real sandy soil. It's always the, uh, the trade wind there is a hard into right to left wind. So I've hit that wind there a lot and uh sandy range, get up in the morning. Landy Watkins is on my, on my left and I go to hit some balls and kind of my normal routine would be to grab a sandwich and just kind of hit some 40 or 50 yard shots. And there was a little pin always short left on the range, which is kind of funny. So I just rake the ball in and I'm talking to my dad and I go to hit the sandwich over at the first pin. I'm stiff, real sandy soil. I, I mean, I hit it really fat. <laughs> and the sand goes up, and I mean, I can hear it hitting Lanny next to me. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure who's behind me because I didn't really pay attention. So as I turn to look, I go, oh, my God, it's like Lanny Watkins, who's one of the more, Chippy. for only being about five foot eight, he's one of the more intimidating people I've ever been around. And so I, I turn, and it's Lanny Watkins, and I go, and in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, shit, like I didn't just do that. So I just said, hey, sorry about that. And I turned to look at my dad. He's back there teaching me, and I had this grin on my face like, can you believe I just did that? So I rake another ball in, aim at the same pin, hit it fat again. Sand flies up, and it's pelting him, and he's, he's over a shot now i'm like it's hit me like the first time i kind of thought it was cute and funny <laughs> second time i am now i'm intimidated as could be and i didn't know what to say so i said you know like hey sorry about that i tried to you know add some light to it i said maybe i should aim a little farther right and without breaking shot he's over the shot and he just tilts his head up and he goes that'd be nice <laughs> and he goes just in and, hits, and goes in and hits the shot and i so now I reach in my bag. I bypass the pitching wedge because that's probably going to be fat too, right? <laughs> and I go straight to the eight iron. I aim it up the net down the right side, <laughs> and I blade the hell out of it. I mean, I just bone it up the right side because I'm so intimidated. Eventually, I kind of get aiming it right. I kind of get it back to where I'm hitting it solid and, and feel pretty good about it. But uh, I've, I've told that story back to Lanny a few times, and, and we've laughed about it quite a bit. He's I'm been great that. to me in my career. He, uh, he's really been a lot of fun for me.
2: Awesome. Well let's wrap it at that. We kept you for an hour. This was this was great. Appreciate all the insights and stories. That was and an hour? That was an that's hour. Right. Yeah. I and mean,
1: it didn't seem like any more than two. <laughs> I, mean, to be honest,
3: <laughs> I got one last question. What do you get at Sundeli?
1: Sundeli is yeah. either Bab's best or the gnarly Charlie. I've never had either So of now you no, gotta I'm go excited. you gotta go double meat. Okay. Go double meat. And then you go with, you have to get the white roll. I mean the wheat's good, but the white roll they have the best bread in town. That's okay. that's my opinion. So Preaching and the choir. great folks. Yeah. Great yeah. folks.
0: Shout out to Sundeli. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Always looking for some handouts. Huh? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they listen to this podcast. But I need to give them a heads so up. They're more into the BMX biking
3: scene, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Skateboarding scene. Well, we'll
2: let you carry on with the rest of your day. Appreciate you spending an hour with us, and uh, best of luck with the captaincy. Thanks. Uh, Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Yes! that's better than most. How about in? That is better than most. Better than most.
0: <laughs> Expect any.